Talk Radio 96.7. Let's talk sports in the Ozone. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. Now, Ronnie O and Coach Joe. All right, Ronnie Ocean, Coach Joe here in the Ozone. We're talking sports. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. If you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Well, it's finally here. Tomorrow night, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be in the Ray J to take on the Bucks in the first preseason game. 7 o'clock kickoff, 6 p.m. pregame right here on 96.7 WLKF. Coach Joe, it's finally here. Well, yeah, it's a lot to look forward to. Now, normally this time of year, I, I generally loathe NFL preseason games, especially early ones. But there are some reasons to watch, especially with the Bucks. Uh, that's, of course, to see who's going to end up at quarterback. Right now, the odds are in favor of Baker Mayfield starting the season as the starting quarterback. But I'm here to tell you right now, Ronnie, that sooner rather than later, Alex, Kyle rather, Alex, Kyle, <laughs> Kyle Trask, I always do that. Um, <laughs> different person. Kyle Trask will uh, take over as uh, Bucks quarterback sooner rather than later. He's having a terrific camp, and we're finally going to see what you and I already know is this guy's a really great quarterback, and he's going to get his chance now. It's funny the way it's playing out, much like it did at Florida, only I don't know if he'd ever gotten a chance at Florida. You know, I got a chance to go to practice one time before he was playing, and I thought, wow, this guy throws a beautiful pass. And you know, he had a great arm, and I'm like, wow, he, he's really good. But, you know, he wasn't going to play. And had it not been for injuries, he might not have played at Florida. Looked like he was going to have a star-crossed career because Felipe Franks was struggling in the 2018 season, and they decided to go ahead and give Kyle Trask a start. And then he got hurt, so he didn't get to play at all. And, and Felipe finished the season fairly strongly. But fate has a way of taking a hand, and uh, Franks uh, got injured uh, in, uh, Kentucky, in, 20, 000, in 2019 against Kentucky, Trask came in and it was he was so great and he just kept getting better. And I remember watching him live like you saw him in practice. I remember the first time I saw him live at a game. His vision is unlike any I've seen before. You know, some quarterbacks can do something really well. We know Anthony Richardson has an absolutely incredible arm. Kyle Trask has a very good arm, but what his accuracy if way he sees the field and throws the ball where it's going to be caught. He throws people open as well as anybody I've seen. And I think uh, he's had time now to learn the ins and outs of quarterback, and he had a chance to watch Tom Brady for a couple of seasons. I think he's going to be really terrific. I do too. And, you know, as we've always said, just because you can airmail it, if it doesn't have a zip code on it, <laughs> then it doesn't matter. Speaking of Anthony Richardson, he's been named the starter for their preseason game on Saturday at 1 o'clock against the Bills in Buffalo. Another reason to keep an eye on the preseason, this is the best reason to watch the preseason games, is to watch some of these players, especially some of the players we've known from watching them in college. And Anthony Richardson is on track to be the starting quarterback from the first game with the Colts. They are raving about him. And you see the occasional practice clips. And, and of course, we already know what a great arm he has. And, and uh, but what's what's um, spectacular is the way he's picking up the offense and the, and the team is gravitating towards him and he seems to be in a position where he's going to lead that team, which has had quarterback issues, but is a talented group. 
It, it's th- that's something to watch. I, I don't know if he's ready to shine and be a big star. I think, but he certainly can be. But to do it as quickly as he did, when you know his lack of experience hurt him in college, it's it's really interesting to watch. I'm really I'm going to pay attention to that a lot. Yeah, Gardner Minshew is the backup, or he's capable. Sure. Yeah, yeah, he, he's average. He, yeah, 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 and he's capable. He's certainly a solid quarterback in case anything goes wrong. But if the if if Richardson turns into the quarterback they expect him to, then the Colts are uh, you know you know you need an excellent quarterbacking to be a chance to to win uh, uh, in the playoffs and Minshew will help you win games but but if Richardson they're expecting to be the kind of guy to lead them to great things well Minshew does have a better mustache oh it's amazing yeah <laughs> if 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 mustaches could <laughs> could you know produce great numbers he'd be an all pro <laughs> yeah he would yeah he would well let's go ahead and take a break we're going to have an opportunity tonight to have Ken Riley the second on with us Of course, he's the son of the recently inducted Ken Riley into the NFL Hall of Fame, and he did the acceptance speech, and he was spectacular. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Shane Matthews, two-time SEC Player of the Year and color analyst for Gator Football. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on the Ozone. The Ozone, tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. And what a pleasure it is to have Ken Riley II with us tonight. Ken, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, man, I tell you what, you just knocked it out of the park in that speech. I'll tell you what, that was so awesome. It was it was like your dad was doing it himself. And it was so concise, you know, and yet... It was understated. I just thought, wow, he must be Ken Riley's son. <laughs> well, I thank you. Uh, it was definitely an honor. Uh, just only wishing that he was, you know, there to do it himself. But uh, just the fact that uh, we were able to celebrate, had a lot of friends and family there, and uh, it's it's just closure now that he's finally made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, you know, it looked like there were a lot of Bengals teammates there. Who were some of the people that were there that he played with? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the players, uh, his former teammates, uh, Ken Anderson, Isaac Curtis, uh, Reggie Williams, uh, Lamar Parrish, um, Jim Breach, um, uh, Lampkin, Lampkin is Lyman, uh, Anthony Munoz, of course. Um, yeah, there were there were there were so many. There were a lot there. Uh, it really was heartwarming to see those guys show up for him. How old were you when you were he was playing? Well, his last year he was eighty three, so I was uh, twelve. So, so did you get to meet some of his teammates? Who were some of his friends that maybe came over to the house? Yeah, no, I mean twelve years old. I can remember everything. They they didn't necessarily come down to the house. Uh, but during the season for Thanksgiving every year, we would go up to Cincinnati. But And I actually uh, worked for Reggie Williams, who was his roommate his last eight years, because he was the president of the of Wide World of Sports Complex. So yeah. I worked for him for several years, and uh, we were the my parents were the godparents to his kids. But, you know, Reggie Williams, Isaac Curtis, 
Uh, Lewis Breeden was the other corner his last, you know, few years. And then Lamar Parrish. So I, I remember all those guys because I love football. And, um, you know, those guys were, you know, heroes to me. So, no, I remember pretty much the entire team. Wow. Well, now what is Ken Riley II doing now? I work for Southwest Airlines. I've uh, been there for over 12 years. So oh, you can get us free tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that actually affords me to come home uh, regularly anytime I want, really, to, to see my mom because I'm out in Houston. So it's definitely been a blessing to be able to do that. Our guest tonight, Ken Riley II, son of Hall of Famer Ken Riley. 682-1430, to talk to Ken, who was uh, just gave a stellar Hall of Fame induction speech for his late father this past Saturday. I've listened to it three times now, I think. Uh, Ken, I just uh, can't get enough of it. it, it it's awesome, and uh, congratulations on that. I wanted to ask you something about the speech, because you, you talked about this as a— you know, talked about how old you were when your dad was playing. You got a, a kind of a close-up look— at the sort of work that he put in to be as successful a player as he was. You touched on it in your speech, and I, I thought you could share some of your memories about that with us. Yeah, um, like I, I tell a lot of people, as a kid, as a child, you don't, I didn't understand it. But <laughs> as I grew up, and I also played defensive back, and I played all the way up through college and uh, went up to the NFL Combine. So I know that we used to, I mean, I used to go with him and, you know, when he'd go work out, I mean, he was constantly working out. He had a, a stationary back at home. He had weights at home. But I always remember, you know, the cliques. I always wanted the cliques. I could hear him walking on the pavement. And I would just go with him. You know, I wouldn't participate. i just sit and watch him run. Well, like I said, in the speech that we would ride along in the car. Is he, you know, old Homeland Road and Bartow. Uh, we, we we would just be in the car as as he's running. So he always stayed in shape, especially like at that point, what I can remember, that was later in his career. So he was at like the last two years of his career. But that's one of the things that he took pride in is, is being in shape. And he kept his body in good condition. And so fast forward, once I started playing and I realized what it takes to play on that level uh, and to do it, for that long, and you know, at the highest level, my my respect just went through the roof, and I, and I just I just marvel on how he was able to do that. Let alone never playing defense until he got drafted. So, well, you know, uh, you were I guess around probably about ten years old then, based on what you're telling us, when they uh, Bengals made the Super Bowl that your dad played in Super Bowl sixteen. That would have been in yeah. Detroit, very cold <laughs> Detroit. Right. Uh, did you get a chance to go to that? I did. I nice. remember it. I mean, I remember it just like yesterday because uh, one of the stories I, I really remember, I had on uh, some boots. I don't know why I had on cowboy boots, but <laughs> I had on boots and uh, it snowed. And my grandmother had a sister there, so we went over to her house, my aunt, my great aunt. And I was walking back to the car and the sidewalk was all ice. Oh, And I just kept falling. I kept trying to get past. And I was like, every time I tried to get up, I was falling. I was falling. And my mom had to come grab me by the arm. So I definitely remember that and uh, just being so disappointed that, you know, they they didn't win the game. But, no, I remember that very well. Ken, one of the things I don't think that they highlighted as much as maybe they should have, and I think your dad 
to me, when I watched him play, I saw an analytical player and a guy that, you know, as you said, he had never played corner in college. He was a quarterback for Jake Gaither. And uh, his teammates were teasing him about that. So, yeah, yeah, Riley was the fair-haired boy. He used to get to ride in Coach Jake's car. We had to ride that old rickety bus. And uh, I used to laugh at that when they'd get on him about that. <laughs> yeah, no, he said he was very pampered. And uh, <laughs> one of the things that, like, that's what makes it so remarkable to me. Like you just said, he was, he was a pampered quarterback coming out of, out of out of college, but he was a student of the game. But he was he a road was scholar candidate too, yes. and yes. I, I think that played into his football, didn't it? Well, I think that played a part of it, and also being a quarterback played a part of it because as a quarterback, you have to know the offense as well as the defense. So being a quarter, quarterback in college, he knew the weaknesses of the defense or knew what the offensive quarter or what the quarterback was looking for. So I think that helped him. And he just became a student of the game. He became a technician. He was very good about angles. You know, as he was coaching myself, it, it was it's more about angles and taking the right angles more so than just having straight, you know, speed. And that's why I think later on in his career, he was so smart that if he lost a step or two, he still was able to be effective because he was a technician and he knew the angles to take and he studied. So that's, he was always in position to make plays. Two things. One, where did you play in college? And the other thing is that I know my, my mother, my dad worked for the railroad, so a lot of times he wasn't home. And my mother never, ever said, wait till your dad gets home. When, if we needed <laughs> discipline, we got it right then. And she had a peach tree switch. And if you had on shorts, buddy, you were in trouble because she'd hit you with that peach tree switch and it left a mark. And she used to tell us that, boy, you do that again, you got more stripes than a master sergeant. So I was wondering, <laughs> did your dad, obviously, um, your dad and your mom uh, must have kept you guys in pretty good line. Where did you play in college, and did is there a saying that he had when you were growing up that you remember? Uh, well, one, well, I played – I went to Florida and him as well. He was my coach. So oh, that's what okay. I was saying. He, he, he coached me for – uh, three to four years. So I learned a lot, you know, as far as technique, I still can look at things today. And, um, you know, he taught me pretty much uh, how to play defensive back. So, um, and then as far as, yeah, keeping us in line, yes, my mother, like, you know, I said in the speech, <laughs> was mother and father. But at the same time, I had just so much respect for my, my father that, uh, it was like she could, even though he wasn't there during the season, but she could threaten to say, I'm going to call your dad. And <laughs> I would just start crying because I, didn't, I wasn't, you know, waiting for that phone call. He's thousands of miles away, but all she had to do is say she's going to call him. And it was like, oh, I don't even know why today. I was like, well, what can he do? He's in Ohio. I'm in Florida. But he still had that effect on all of us like that. So um, we definitely respect it. Uh, both of them, um, but yeah, that was it. Definitely kept us uh, in line. Was there a parental saying from either one of them that you remember? Uh, no, not really. Um, you know, after a, a while, you know, he just that look. He just you just knew <laughs> not to uh, you know to get in line. So it's just one of those things. It, it, it's interesting when you mentioned in your speech, Ken, that uh, 
Uh, your dad could have coached in the NFL and opted not to. He wanted to stay close to you guys at, at home. Did, uh, can you? What do you remember about that? Was it something that uh, that he just told you this is what he wanted to do? Did, did uh, how 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 old were you around that time? This would have been probably no, about. Was, no, again, like I said, I was since he played so long. I was a teenager. You know, I was yeah. twelve, and so when he finishes. In uh, 83, he did go up to Green Bay. So what happened was he graduated. I mean, he he retired. And then the following season, he was coaching for Green Bay. So we moved Green to Green Bay for two years. And he had a successful, you know, career. He was up there with uh, Coach Forrest Gregg, who was his uh, coach at Cincinnati. So Coach Gregg went from Cincinnati to Green Bay. And that following year, he offered my dad the job. So we were there for two years. And we, you know, he was thriving as a secondary coach, but then he got a call from Florida and then where he went to school. So what happened was he accepted that job to become a head coach in 86, but he could have easily stayed in green Bay. And like, and when I said in a speech that, you know, he sacrificed for us because my, it was a different environment moving from Florida to Wisconsin, <laughs> green Bay, Wisconsin. And, you know, let alone the weather, but it was a really a shock for my older sister who was now in the tenth grade. So she's leaving high school, leaving all her friends, and go. You know, it was a culture shock for her. Like I enjoyed it. I was the ball boy at Green Bay. You know, I'm around all these NFL players, so it was great for me. But my 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 sisters and you know, they they really struggled. So <laughs> Lord and them. No better place. Like I said, that's where he went to school. He still loved his school, and it was his chance to become a head coach. So after those two years, he left to go back to, uh, you know, Florida A&M, and then that's where we finished high school, and then we went to college as well. But during that time, after uh, during that period of time when he was the coach and athletic director, he had opportunities to go to Georgia Tech, SMU, and then, like, even this past weekend, uh, Coach Tony Dungy said, you know, I tried to – uh, recruit your daddy to come back and, and coach in the NFL. So he had plenty of opportunities throughout the time that he he was there, but um, he decided to stay. And, um, you know, that was something, like I said, he sacrificed. He probably could have gone on to be a head coach in the NFL. Who knows? Uh, because, you know, he he made that decision to, you know, take a back seat, you know, for, for the family and um, – you know, we were able to, you know, all my sisters, like I said, we graduated and uh, he was able to be there for us. Well, he always did have the family and community in mind. And we recall the the great uh, times in, in the event that, that you and that he and, and your whole family put on every year. Um, is there um, any special memory you have about that event, which is dear, near and dear to our hearts? Yeah, he had the CPAC and his golf foundation. I, I really wasn't involved in CPAC because I was in Houston, but my sister and my mom and um, a lot of my family was instrumental in having that every year, but that was a huge event. Golf tournament, I never missed. That was always fun because a lot of the former players and a lot of his peers would come back. And, uh, you know, I just really just enjoyed being around them and listening to the stories and, uh, like I said, I, I love football and the students of the game, so that was always special to just see him interact with, uh, you know, former teammates and peers. So that was that's one of the ones that I, I really enjoyed and really 
you know, look forward to every year. I can't tell you how much that meant to Coach Joe and I. I first met your dad with the Polk County Sports Hall of Fame. Of course, I knew who he was because I've been a football fan for a long time, and I thought I had really arrived when he would have a little special meeting at the golf tournament where it would just be him and his, you know, the the players. And he invited mm-hmm. me in there, and I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> you know, there's all these yeah. NFL Hall of Famers in there, and right. they're joking and kidding around, telling these stories, and I'm just like, wow, this must be what heaven's like. And, uh, you know, he he never big-timed anybody. You know, I was right. just – Joe and I were just two people that were there, really, and, you know, he'd been on the show, but, you know, he knew us and – we we helped we we got so much stuff from memorabilia at, at that golf tournament man I tell you what we had so much fun but what a gracious human being he was and I just feel blessed that I got to number him among friends. Yeah, that's I mean that's awesome to hear and um, that was one of the things that I admired most about him too because he was so humble like. For the most part, you would never know that, you know, this guy has 65 interceptions. He's number five all the time because he didn't walk around. That wasn't who defined him. No, he no. had his career and his, you know, he, he thought that his work would speak for himself, but he had, you know, other things outside of football. And like I said, that wasn't who made him as a man. That was something that he did and played and was good at it, but that didn't define him as a person. And he was always grounded and uh, humble and, like I said, cared about his community, cared about his family. And that's one of the things that I admire most about him is because that never changed him. Even getting into the Hall of Fame, that never made him bitter. Uh, he was disappointed, but, that again, that never defined him because he thought that he had done enough to get in there and you only control what you can control. And so he he was able to, you know, move forward with his life and have success outside of, you know, on that playing field. That's exactly what he told us. Uh, we've only got about 20 seconds left. Those uh, college jobs, were those head coaching job offers? They were head coaching, athletic director wow. jobs. Yeah, they were head coaching, yeah. Because, wow. Like I said, he had so many relationships. And, yeah, he had opportunities to definitely leave. Wow. Ken, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Ken. Uh, again, you just knocked it out of the park. That was an awesome presentation and i know that up there in heaven your dad was just beaming down saying that's my boy well i appreciate that and thanks for the support and like i said he always enjoyed hanging around you guys and i thank you all for giving me the opportunity to you know come on your show and talk about him and just all the support you you've given him all right well we're gonna we're waiting on those free southwest tickets so we'll be right here <laughs> meantime come come back and join us anytime ken all right thanks so thanks. much man all, all right, right thank care. you ken all right, bye bye. Ken Riley the second man. I tell you why he is just he, you know, he's a chip off the old block. Isn't oh he? Just yeah, absolutely. Fine and, gentleman, and very it, intelligent. If you didn't get a chance to see see the induction ceremony, uh, the speeches are available online. So uh, just uh, you can just uh, Google them and uh, it pop right up. You get a chance to to see uh, Ken's speech. Excellent. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio ninety six point seven WLKF. Second half of the Ozone kicks off now. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. 
Rays bats are still in the freezer tonight. They're down 5 nothing as we go to the ninth. And uh, they're going to have one more chance. They've only had two hits tonight. So they're playing the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Cardinals are going to take the series unless something changes. And the Rays need to come up with a lot of the runs, Cardinals, six runs here. Cardinals currently in last place in the NL Central. Yet, yeah, uh, yet they're proving to be a little bit tricky. Look, it's not good, uh, been a good week for the Rays, although they they uh, they are above 500 in their last 10 games, uh, and so they've been playing a little bit better. But the news just we 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 were harbingers of doom last week. We'll talk You're about that in a minute. Oh man! We, besides all the con- we knew that we actually were there as the Pac-12 was crumbling right before our <laughs> eyes, and we talked about that. But one of the things that that we mentioned last week was that uh, McClanahan was pulled from his start and that he was having a problem with his forearm, and now they're talking about he's out for the season most likely. Uh, so all of those things are going wrong for the Rays right now. They're currently two-and-a-half games behind the Orioles, who already won today. They beat the Astros 5-4. to four. So uh, it look, looks like it'll be three games behind by the end of the night. Yeah, and as you said, the, the Rays are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Unfortunately, the Orioles are 7-3. and three. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, the Orioles, by the way, the Orioles didn't come out of nowhere. They've been good the last couple of seasons, but they're really good this year. And they've been surging. They've been getting better as the season has gone on. Although, for whatever reason, I, I, we don't have to talk about this, but they decided to fire one of their broadcasters who was comparing the problems they had a couple of years ago with how good they are now. I don't get that at all. I it's well, figure that out. Well, it was on notes that their PR department had handed him. Yeah, yeah. So he's <laughs> saying what he'd been told to say, and he gets suspended for that. Yeah, I Orioles mean, announcer Kevin Brown, he's talking about how bad they had been against the Rays pre- the last couple of years. And about three or four years ago, the Orioles were terrible. Now they're great. And it would seem like the obvious thing to do would be to show how far they've come. I Now, people need to understand these regional broadcasters, they're— hired by the teams. That's why they are basically have to kind of be cheerleaders. They're yeah, not, exactly. You don't hear a lot of criticism. But I watched this the particular piece. It wasn't critical. It was just a comparative. It really is look how far they've come sort of piece. I, I don't get it at all. I mean, I know if we say anything bad about Eric, we get the, you know in big, big trouble. <laughs> but, but I still don't understand why they uh, penalize Kevin Brown that way. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, the owner of the Orioles doesn't have the kind of power that Eric wields. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have the kind of money. You know, and then that's, you know, when you're a multi-billionaire, that's the kind of stuff that <laughs> oh, he's getting serious. He's putting headphones on now. He's listening. Easy, so, easy does it, Ronnie. You know? <laughs> my ears are burning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ronnie will be on vacation for the next few days. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, At an man. undisclosed location. Yeah. Well, you know, be this, careful about that. On this date in 1904, my high school teammate, Jack Chessbro, Ends a string of 30 consecutive complete games in a nice. 5-1 loss to the White Sox. But that year he would go on to be 41-12, and 12, and he pitched 454 innings with a 1.82 <laughs> ERA. What and year was that? 1904. Oh, my That's goodness. That's still the all-time record. Nobody ever talks about that when they talk about records that are safe, that are not going to be broken. Well, yeah, because pitchers can't last that long anymore i guess because they throw harder or the motion is more strenuous in order for them to throw harder than you think pitchers at the turn of the century they sort of were more flat-footed they didn't have the big wind up they sort of uh uh did that 
circular sort of motion to get momentum. And I get, I know they threw a lot, a uh, lot less hard, and the balls were dead anyway. They weren't well, going to go got, anywhere. <laughs> he got fifty-one starts that year. Yeah, I mean nobody's sure. going to get fifty-one <laughs> starts anymore. Your but, arm would uh, fall off. <laughs> and some guy named Babe Ruth announced that nineteen thirty-four was going to be his final season as a full-time player. Well, in that final season with the Yankees, he still hit two eighty-eight with mm-hmm. twenty-two home runs and eighty-four RBIs. Uh, yeah, two eighty-eight was probably his worst average. Of, of his career because yeah everybody talks about his power but yeah he hit for a high 342 average. Yeah. yeah yeah one of the best one of the best ever yeah no doubt ted williams at 344 so that tells you how good babe ruth was he, he was a great athlete you know, he didn't look like a great athlete right. but you know he had spindly little legs and that big old yeah. <laughs> gut you know but uh he was actually a terrific athlete yeah he was he was a great pitcher i mean he doesn't get enough credit for how good the guy really was. There were times where he hit more home runs than teams did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's how dominant that guy was. And a friend of mine told me this, and I don't know if, if you know this. Now, I had never heard this before. But he said that back in that day, if you hit a home run and it left the field fair but curled around the foul pole, it wasn't a home run. And they estimated that Babe Ruth had 75 of those that were not called home runs. And I don't, I'd never heard that before. You ever heard that before? That is the first time I'd ever heard that, um, that anything like that. I know that there was a time that we Willie Keeler days where foul balls never counted as strikes, uh, not even strike one or strike two. Uh, but I'd never heard about balls that left, that went over the fence and curled foul after they crossed the fence. I'd never heard of that. I guess, did they have foul poles back then, Ethan? I guess they did. I don't know. Yeah. But the, the, my buddy that told me that, he usually knows what he's talking about. And uh, so, Well, do you remember calls like that in the games that you used to go to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't believe how many home runs I lost due to that. I mean, I would have been in the record books had it not been for that rule. But um, You were right there in the bleachers. It was, oh, you know, I was. Quarter for the doubleheader on that, Sunday. That's right. right. I was in the knothole gang. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and take a break. All right. And we come back, we just might have an opportunity for our sports quiz winner mm-hmm. to go out to Miller's Lake and Ale House and take $30 off the tab. Cha-ching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Jackie Patton, Captain High's soccer player and varsity place kicker. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. Jackie Patton, what a fine young lady with great parents, I'll tell you what. How's Jackie doing? She's doing really good. She's a fine young lady. She's going to actually go to BYU. New member of the Big 12. <laughs> no, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, I know right now you're sitting out there. You're waiting. You cannot wait. He said, please, please, I want to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House and eat. Well, here's your opportunity. If you haven't won in the last six months and you know the answer, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Miguel Cabrera of the Tigers. Formerly a Miami Marlin, right? Yes, that's where he started. They won a World Series. That's there right. The Marlins. That's and, right. Uh, that was 20 years ago. Jeez. 
Miggy's had a good career. He, you know, we, we talked about Ken Riley in the Hall of Fame. Miggy's um, retiring this year, Cabrera, and five years from now we'll be talking about his Hall of Fame induction. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's going to be a first ballot guy. Yeah. Well, he's got 3,145 hits. He's currently 20th on the all-time hit list. He's got 508 home runs to go with that and a 307 lifetime average. Who is the all-time Major League Baseball hits leader? Who had more hits than anyone in Major League history? 682-1430. That's 682-1430. And uh, we're sitting around here waiting for your call. That's an easy one. Right, yeah. Cabrera, um, If assuming this is his last season, which it, he has said it will be, uh, he has enough time to move up about four or five more spots. Is that bunch together? But he is, so he could be as high as fifteenth by the time he he uh, retires. Well, yeah, just absolutely amazing. Your best hitter of this century, I think it's fair to say, is Miguel Cabrera of this century. Well, I tell you what, he's yeah. been great. Um, you know, I hated for him to win the triple crown. I have to be honest, because <laughs> Carl Yastrzemski was my guy. Two thousand and twelve triple crown winner, I believe, was yeah. uh, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hated for that to first happen. first time Yastrzemski was the last time one to do it before sixty seven. Amazing. All right, we got somebody that's hungry and thirsty. John, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good. How are y'all? Fantastic. Who is the all time Major League Baseball hits leader? I think that's Pete Rose. I think you're exactly right. They can't take that away from him. <laughs> the record is no. the record. Do you think he belongs in the Hall of Fame? Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> everything that's going on, put Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and McGuire in there, too. Uh, no, I totally disagree with you. But <laughs> it's, interesting, it's interesting to talk about Rose. And, you know, he had those gambling issues on a day when, when the headlines have been full of what Phil Mickelson is, was oh, as yeah. a gambler all over the course. Right. Uh, it's you know, and you know what they were just of the wrong era. Now gambling's part of sports. Now it it's uh, it's everywhere. We're gonna have yeah. a gambling show soon. If any, at one are point, you, are you a Reds fan, John? Or are you? I am a diehard Chicago Cubs fan. All right. Hey, the Cubs are what three games out of first right now? They've been playing very yeah. well. Yes, we are. Yeah, I, they they seem to uh, they've definitely seem to have righted the ship after a really slow start. Watch out for them. Right. I think Bellinger coming on and uh, that trade with Danzy Swanson was the catalyst for it all. Who's your favorite Cub of all time? Ryan Sandberg. Ryan Sandberg. Oh, yeah. yeah he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Pretty best second baseman in the game. Wow. He, he was pretty awesome. I, I'm so yeah, old. Was. I remember Ken Hubs. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> no, I have not. I'm, I'm from Ryan Sandberg, Leander Romero. Yeah. Well, um, Ken Hubbs was rookie of the year for the Cubs, second baseman, and he died in a plane crash at a very early age. Huh. But he was back in the 60s when, when I was a kid. So the, the 1960s, I, I a, not 1860s. <laughs> 80s was when I was a kid. So I, I really enjoyed those Cubs in the 80s. You know, the 84 team was great. And when Andre Dawson later on in the 80s was with the Cubs, that was, even though they didn't have a great team, that was just special watching him. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. It, that's when WGN used to be around and show their games. I could watch them every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now you have to pay for Marquee to watch them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. It makes it trickier. Uh, well, John, thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Hang on the line. Eric will get your information. And listen, if he asks for your bank account number, don't give him that. 
Okay. Yeah, it's not necessary. I'll only give it to you. You don't, you don't need to give him a credit card information. <laughs> don't. No matter how much he says you do, just name. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Name and a phone number, I guess. What is, maybe not much else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. John, congratulations. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, John sounded like a true sports fan, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the uh, Cubs are enjoying some success right now, and now he's got some success with that $30 where he can go watch the Cubs and, and eat at the Ale House. So, so good, good on you, John. And, uh, uh, th- that's just great to see, you know, uh, uh, baseball's, you know, been going really well. Uh, there was a no hitter last night, Ronnie, another one, Michael Lorenzen, by the way, an ex tiger player tigers traded him to the Phillies where he had a no hitter last night. He had five strikeouts and four walks. So it wasn't exactly a super clean, no hitter. Yeah. He, he, he even talked about how he almost, uh, you know, you know, got pulled early in the game because he was so wild, but he did come through. It was it counts as a no hitter, even though he did it against Washington <laughs> in a seven nothing Phillies win. Phillies have been uh, pretty hot lately, but the, that's just they're treading water and trying to keep up with the Braves. But they have moved into a wild card playoff position right now. Uh, as the Phillies are doing real well since the All Star break. Well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is the race came up with two runs in the bottom of the ninth. Mm, that's but good news. <laughs> fell four runs short of winning the game. Oh, boy. And they did double the number of hits. They only had two hits going into the ninth. They ended up with four, but they still lost 5-2 to the Cardinals. As you said, the cellar dwellers. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Cardinals, uh, they, they're, not, they're not very good, really. And so losing two straight at home to the Cardinals doesn't help the Rays' cause right now. They're definitely in the dog days right now, and I, I don't know. I don't know what the—I think the Rays are still going to make the playoffs. But they went from being, you know, possibly a number one seed to now they're going to be like they were last year, you know, a number five or six seed. And that's, you know, under this new format, that means going somewhere else to play in the best of three first-round series. And, and, and with their pitching being the way it is, they're going to need a ton of hitting to, to overcome that. Tell you what, it's not very far where the Gators are going to be going out to Salt Lake City, take on the Utes of Utah. The line has come down. It was nine and a half. It's down to seven and a half now. There's some momentum with the Gators right now. I guess now that fall practice has started, somehow I guess people are liking what they see. Yeah, you know, I've heard some good things about Graham Mertz that, you know, he's he's consistent. And that's something we lacked previously. I don't you know, he's not going to be as athletic and he's not going to have the arm that Anthony Richardson had. But, um, you know, a little bit of consistency goes a long way, and I've heard some good things about some of the freshman receivers. Well, you know, he doesn't have to be a great quarterback for this Gators team, which is going to rely heavily on the running game and and hopefully on playing tough defense. Uh, so th- there's a lot of improvement on, on that areas, uh, those areas of the game. So there's a reason to be optimistic. I think, you know, last year, Ronnie, this is my feeling about it. It's last year we had that great start, and then – uh, it, it sort of faded as the season went along, and we felt bad at the end of the season. I think this year, I don't think it's going to be a great start, but then we're going to get better, and then we'll feel pretty good about the team by the end of the season. I think it'll sort of be the mirror of last year. I could buy that. That that sounds logical to me. Florida State is a two-and-a-half-point underdog to LSU, and the game's going to be played on that Sunday night of Labor Day weekend over in Orlando. But the first game or one of the first games is going to be the 26th of August as Navy and Notre Dame play in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, yeah. Notre Dame now with Sam Hartman at quarterback. 
Yeah. Uh, so I I think everybody's pretty high on Notre Dame and their chances this year. And and uh, Navy, I never, you never quite know if Navy's going to be any good. You know they play hard, but sometimes they're they're vastly um, overmatched. Uh, I, so I think Notre Dame's going to win this one over in Dublin. Uh, let's see how this game goes. You know, we, uh, you never know. Uh, we saw last year when Northwestern beat Nebraska and their yeah. only win of the season, but yeah. it was over in Dublin. So, so strange things can happen over there. But how can you how can you bet against the Irish in, in Ireland? <laughs> you know, Navy's going to be without Ken Niamatololo, you know, their longtime legendary coach who beat Army 14 years in a row. Um I think they made a mistake. I think they fired him prematurely. Um, I think there was something between him and the athletic director. The athletic director fired his offensive coordinator, and then he brought Ken Niamatololo brought him back as like quarterback's coach or something like that. <laughs> so I think there was a little bit of a problem there, but uh, Coach Ken was one of the, the best they've ever had at Navy. That was really – a surprise to me too when they got rid of him. I think it is something uh, underneath or behind the scenes, beyond uh, what's happening on the field or, or with the team. I think it's an, uh, like you said, probably, uh, probably some sort of personality issue with the uh, with the athletic department. Yeah, these yeah. things happen, especially uh, after all these years. You know, <laughs> no, no doubt about yeah. that. But I tell you what, that guy did a great job at Navy on this date in 1971. The Twins' Harmon Killebrew is the 10th player in Major League history to amass 500 home runs and adds his 501st on that same day. He ended up with 573 home runs and a two fifty six average. Now, here's a guy that it seems like they've lowered the expectations for the Hall of Fame. Remember Dave Kingman, King Kong? <laughs> yeah, sure. He played for the Cubs uh, yeah. quite a bit. Just about everybody. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't miss too many teams. He had 442 home runs. Yeah. 236 average. Now he had 1,816 strikeouts too, <laughs> but you know, with with what they've done with some of these guys, Kingman probably as good as anybody to get in there. For you younger fans, just think of Giancarlo Stanton, and that was Dave Kingman basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Strikes out a lot, but can hit some amazing home runs. Oh yeah, <laughs> he hit some tape measure home runs. On this date in 2001, Lou Boudreau. American League Hall of Fame shortstop passed away. He was an eight-time All-Star, World Series and AL MVP in 1948, and the batting champion in the American League in 1944. He was 84 when he passed away. And, uh, you know, he was the one that invented the shift. And now it's illegal. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I don't like it. Do you like it? Uh, it's... Yeah, hey, no, I know the guys who are the hitters don't like it, and it's not fun to look at. No, yeah. Well, you know, I think they want to get offense into the game, and that's one of those things that detracts from the offense. Well, we appreciate you listening. We're going to be back next week. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone, and uh, who knows who we might have with us, Coach Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah, who knows? Uh, but. Uh... Uh, you know, we talked about the Hall of Fame tonight, and we got I get to work with a Hall of Famer every week. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Ron. What are you talking about, Michael Dr. Michael Ean? <laughs> Dr. Michael Ean?